Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of our Following Jesus with Christ Church. Here, me, Andrew Vandermoss, one of the pastors at Christ Church, uh, along with my colleague and friend, Addison Hawkins, try to share observations and stories about following Jesus from our little corner of the world, Christ Church in Grand Rapids. It's good to be together with you again today. Today, we want to bring the focus towards uh, evangelism, apologetics, reaching out, in the, especially in the middle of this COVID-19, the virus that has sort of taken over our lives in the last month or so, especially thinking about it um, as we're uh, recording this. It's a day before uh, Monday, Thursday, John 13, the new commandment that Jesus gives to his disciples, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We certainly hear that and, and we believe that. Uh, what does it mean to live this out uh, during this time? And maybe even thinking, what does it mean to continue to live this out after we are through the coronavirus days? To help us think this through, we have with us a good friend of both mine and of Addison's, uh, Mr. Mark Ryan. Mark is the director of the Francis Schaefer Institute in St. Louis, Missouri, connected with Covenant Seminary, where he's also an adjunct professor of, uh, of cultures and religion. And uh, he's a, a former colleague of mine at Crossroads Pres when I served there and was a professor uh, to Mark. Um, Mark worked with him while he was during his uh, studies there. So welcome, Mark. It's great to have you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Edison. Good to be with you. Yes, and uh, we just thought it was a great connection, not only because of our personal friendship, your area of expertise, but also just that whole Francis Schaefer connection. Uh, some of you know, those of you listening with Christ Church background, uh, the connection between Christ Church and Francis Schaefer when the group of people back in the 60s were trying to decide which direction they wanted to go as a church, Francis Schaefer was one of their major influencers and that caused them to reach out to Covenant Seminary and uh, guys like Don McNair and uh, Robert Raymond helped, or Robert Rayburn helped them uh, navigate their way into the denomination. So, in a certain sense, with having Mark here, we we go back to our roots and understand that. For those of you who don't know who Francis Schaeffer is, is an apologist uh, and really helped the church connect with the culture around us. Hence, you can see uh, why we would have Mark here. So, Mark, why don't you just start and talk a little bit about that as you're trying to carry on some of that vision of Francis Schaeffer. What is it that you, you share with your students? How is it that you encourage them to engage the cultures around them with the gospel? Yeah, thanks. I, I think one of the primary things we do coming out of the relationship, obviously, that preexisted me with Schaeffer himself, pastoring here in St. Louis and uh, being an adjunct professor for many years at Covenant Seminary, even while resident in Switzerland, beginning the Labrie ministry, really Schaefer in a, in a Spurgeon-like way had a philosophy of preaching from the scriptures, but being very aware of daily news, daily events. And so we are trying to supplement seminary education by helping our faculty and our students think about the context into which they will minister 
God's word. So ours is really a ministry of encouraging um, contextual awareness, cultural understanding for the sake uh, of the gospel, for the sake of men and women being able to hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. That was really Schaefer's basic ethos, even for all the Labrie years. Uh, he actually would tell people, uh, don't pigeonhole me as an apologist. Uh, I think of myself as an evangelist. Uh, he spoke about pre-evangelism, going back beyond people's questions and concerns in order to build rapport, relationship, in order that the gospel might be heard plausibly, winsomely, and yet powerfully and faithfully. So we're trying to carry on that good work in the context of seminary education. Yeah, that's really great. And, I, you know, one of the things that I love about talking to you is I know that you are a person that lives this out. You, you not only talk about this, but you live it out in our little community of Maplewood, still in the same house. You've been there for a lot of years, and I know some of that's intentional for you, just wanting to connect with neighbors and build relationships. But that's challenged now in, in this day and age, and we're thinking at least for this time now as we're sheltering in place and the connections with neighbors how are you navigating your, that yourself and maybe how are you talking about that with students yeah thanks you're right to suggest that it's challenging i think that's uh, obvious but um, I, I would say a couple of things it's not impossible and it's not impossible partly because we've been in a mode of relational engagement prior to this uh, we're not having to start from scratch. Some of our churches and some of our students are discovering that this is difficult precisely because they don't have the track record of reaching out. So they don't know who their neighbors are. Uh, they don't have the temperature of the town, so to speak. And they really are starting from scratch at a most difficult time. For us, and, and I really should give thanks to my wife, Terry, who's a, a co-conspirator in the way we live our lives, and my kids too, uh, and the churches that we're connected to here in Maplewood. We have a thick relational web, which means that we are known. And uh, the way we live our life is not particularly strange, but it is deliberate. And so we actually still have people coming to us, phone call, dropping stuff off on the porch, giving us notes of who we might need to drop stuff off to. So we're thankful. And, and as we tell our students, it's really the pre-work that we are able to lean into now. And for churches and for groups who are maybe not uh, in that pre-work stage, this will be one of the big takeaways is you really can't do evangelism from square one. There really has to be a relational base. So that might be a task for some of us post COVID-19. In the midst, uh, I would say that we are curtailed. Uh, Andrew knows and Addison knows a little bit too. I, I spend way too much time at our local coffee shop. Obviously I can't do that right now. Uh, others of you know that I'm fond of uh, gathering people together. For many years, my wife and I do what we've called the big breakfast, where we intentionally on Saturday mornings bring together Christian friends, a small handful, with non-Christian friends, and we act as hosts to provide a meal, facilitate discussion. Obviously, part of the shelter in place is that we can't do gatherings or group events. So it is challenging. What we are able to do uh, quite frankly, are things that are very basic to evangelism, but are not to be underplayed. 
So this for us has become a real season of intentional prayer, of asking the Lord to uh, water and to grow the seeds that we've planted mm. during the non-COVID time. Uh, I hope that for those of us listening, that's not a bumper sticker or a throwaway, uh, but to recognize as much as we are out of circulation, the, seed, the gospel seeds that are planted are still being tended to by the Heavenly Father. So prayer for us is a great uh, way to continue our evangelism. Uh, for, we live in the age of social media. So phone calls, texts, emails, um, messenger chats, Zoom meetings, way too many Zoom meetings. <laughs> Amen. These are all provide avenues for us to continue to dialogue with individual persons and with couples that we've long been in dialogue with. And as probably some of us are aware, um, it's an awkward time. But for others, they are now face to face with their mortality. Mm. Uh, they have never been more aware that they don't control the world they live in or the circumstances of their life. So I actually have people and my wife has people who are contacting us. Hey, can we talk? Can we revisit that conversation from two months ago? What should we read? What passages of the Bible? What, what Christians have spoken to suffering uh, and evil? We're also trying as best we can to do practical things underneath the limitations that give visibility uh, to our wanting to serve our neighbor. So my daughter, who was 16, we have a number of elderly shut-ins who need help in the garden or picking up after their dogs, very mundane. But she's going out with masks and gloves, but she's going out to serve these shut-ins. We drive her there, we're present in the car, she's not interacting, but she's serving. My wife, Terry, serves a number of nursing homes here in Missouri. She's an advocate for uh, shut-ins in, in, the, in the state care facilities. She can't have entrance. These places are on lockdown, but she can drop off jigsaw puzzles, snack food. She can signal that she, they're not forgotten about. And some of these residents, she's praying was on the phone uh, and reading scripture passages to um, I'm meeting with pastors with six feet or more uh, to talk about funerals. So how do you do funerals when you can't gather? What do we say to family members who aren't really connected to the church? So we are operating evangelistically with very real challenges, but we're not shut down. Uh, the gospel is not impeded from going forward. Uh, perhaps a little bit analogous to Paul, who was in prison, but was able to rejoice in the gospel being unchanged, uh, unchained. That's what we're experiencing in some way. And these are some of the ways that we're at least trying to be helpful, present and evangelistic. Oh, that's really good. I feel like I was just, I feel like I was back at class again, just getting another great lecture on apologetics. You know, as a former student, you know, it, it was funny. A lot of the things that you were just saying, I just referenced, you know, that's sort of how you teach, you know, relational evangelism through covenant. Also probably even at, at your local church level as well. I mean, probably in all areas of your life, you know, what are some of the things uh, that the conversations, uh, questions that you're fielding from students and maybe even from local congregants, you know, you got to some of the practical things, but what are the things you're hearing from people, the struggles they're having and the way they're sort of working through all of this? Yeah. So the questions, as you can imagine, are very mixed, but I think representative ones. So about two and a half, three weeks ago, uh, one of the first phone calls I received was from an African-American brother who's pastoring in Southern Illinois 
just the other side of East St. Louis. And his niece was the first fatality in Illinois to COVID-19. Wow. Bucked all the stereotypes, not elderly. She was actually right. in a late teen. Um, not out, not on spring break, being careless, but serving her family, going to her part-time job. Somehow contracted this virus and you know, she has asthma and mm. very quickly declined and died. And he's a young pastor saying, we're not even taking this seriously at this time. Mm. Um, and so that's the, you know, what, what does this mean? What is God doing? How do I deal with this? And so some sets of questions are really trying to help Christians understand God is sovereign. Uh, reality has not escaped his grip, but this is still very serious. And therefore we need to take it seriously and abide by some of the medical um, and governmental decisions about stay at home, take shelter, think of others. Uh, another conversation had to do with, do I think um, God is judging the world? Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's an age old question, isn't it? Yes, um, yes it I is. Would, it is. Yeah. I, I would want to say um, I, I don't have the inside intelligence on that. I'm reluctant to, prognosticate or adjudicate um, at the same time a little bit like Jesus uh, in Luke talking about the Tower of Siloam or the prophecy of Nahum uh, speaking of, of God's actions in the world on behalf of his covenant people I, I think it's fair to understand that God is up to something hmm. and that God is at least shaking the world and drawing our attention to himself so I, I'm not prepared to say this is a particular judgment on a particular scene or a particular constituency, but boy, he's got our attention and we should be asking ourselves, are we giving him our attention? Yeah. That's and, then good. The, and then the other questions come uh, such as you've already asked, how do we do evangelism at this time? What kinds of activities make sense of our social circumstances? Yeah, that's good. So it seems like what you're, you're saying, you know, connecting some of the dots is that it's, it's not really an either or conversation. Like either I stay in cause that's how I love my neighbor or I go out because that's how I love my neighbor, but rather it can be both, you know, loving our neighbor is staying in to protect those that are at most risk and going out because people need to be served. People need to not be get uh, forgotten about like you were saying with your wife and with your daughter going out and serving. Absolutely. Refuse to choose. Be, beware of the either ors. When you look at, you know, we've all seen the quotes going around, whether it's Luther in a time of plague or Cyprian or others, you don't see those wiser minds making that kind of bifurcation, right? right. They're very aware of the need to love uh, our neighbor, which includes um, staying home so as not to spread disease or in particular cases, stepping out to serve them in a particular way. Yeah. And some of that is just our own discernment about what our gifts are, where we fit in the broader picture of that. I know that's something that you've talked about. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Andrew. Some, uh, as you've alluded to and others, there, there are uh, camps forming that want to reach very firm conclusions about one response or the other. Stay home, shut down, maximum precaution, or heck, you know, we're not going to let the government uh, tell us what to do. We're going to meet. We've got faith. Let's be together. And, and as those groups encounter one another, there's often not the kind of charity or contextual understanding we might wish for. Uh, into that, I, I think it's understandable that we might reach different conclusions for different reasons. I think one of the real challenges is the individualism of our time 
is that we begin to start with, well, what do I think? What do I believe? What would I do? Here's my conclusion. It's the right one. How do I can compel the rest of you to agree with me? Um, I, I think we probably need to filter into that, that as much as we are one body as brother and sister around the church, we, we have many, uh, we have a diversity of gifts and roles to play. Um, I want the ambulance driver and the EMTs in my congregation to step out and to fulfill their role. Uh, Andrew and I know a ruling elder who's a very gifted medical doctor who's currently in charge of a number of ERs in our region. He's leading a coordinated effort. That man is uniquely suited and gifted to be out serving in this way in this time. He is fulfilling his God-given role and calling. Uh, I'm a medical dunce. I've got a few home, a few home recipes we probably ought to be aware of. You don't want me broke, breaking the shelter at home uh, ordinances for no good reason. I will help the elderly person across the road get their groceries for them because that's love for neighbor, but I'm not circling about business as usual because that would be to fail to love them. What are my gifts? What are my callings? What role do I play in the broader body? And then allow others a similar freedom and grace to function. If we could think corporately rather than just individually, we, we may not have the same level of tension over this issue. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. What do you think, put on your prophet hat for a minute. I don't know if you actually have a prophet hat, but what are, what, are some of the, <laughs> what are some of the things that, you know, that we might be thinking about? I mean, we, we are going to come out of this time at some point. I, I think we are going to be changed some as a culture and as a society. What are some ways that the church might be thinking about uh, being ready for that time when we do come out of it? It's a great question to, to, to look ahead and to ask as the people of God, what, what are we learning? What might God be leading us to contemplate? I, I don't have a prophet hat, which I'm sure you'll be pleased to hear about. <laughs> but I do think it's a part of our task as leaders in the church to be forward looking. And so as we, as we do think of an end to COVID-19, we don't know the particulars. Will it whimper or will it bang? How will it end? Uh, what will be the level of severity? Um, will it be seasonal or will it simply end? There's lots we don't know, but we do know um, that people are going to be weighing these same questions with us. And thus as churches and pastors, I think we ought to be getting ready to serve our neighbors. Uh, we know we're called to serve the people of God, the household of God, and, and faithful pastors are doing that creatively and well. But we've got to extend our thinking to that man, that woman, that family down the road. Traditionally, they've not come to our services. Historically, they haven't been drawn in to explore the Christian faith. But for many of those people, they are now opened in a new way. How do we prepare ourselves to engage that? What does that mean for sermon series, Bible study topics, adult ed? Uh, what does that mean for resourcing? What kinds of mercy ministry actions might we need to be prepared for a lot of our folks have lost their jobs a lot of them won't get those same jobs back right um, as pastors are we thinking through um you know the toll on married couples counselors 
are generally not meeting, but many people are having marital strife in the same room and there's nowhere to go. Are we prepared to engage them? So how do we beef up our range of ministries? How do we think other-centeredly? What are the needs for the potential inquirer, the would-be person in crisis? What's the role of mercy? So th these are some of the general things that I do think we need to be looking ahead towards. Yeah. One of the things that I think, one of the things I've been so appreciative uh, about during this coronavirus is that as I have been limited personally as a pastor, I've seen the body of Christ spring into action in ways that sometimes they didn't really need to, or maybe they were doing it and it was more under the radar. But I, I know for me, uh, you know, part of my prayer is just to continue to nourish that body so that the body is ready to meet the needs of the things that you've been talking about. Amen. It's a, it's a great time, I think, for many of us to think about our structures of ministry. Yeah. You know, if, if I did have a prophet hat, I'd be tempted to, to ask the question, given this present reality, what is it likely to demand from the church? Uh, many of us are deeply conservative. We're committed to the scriptures as we should be and must be. But this is an opportunity to ask the question, what have we not seen and how and what does the present demand require of us going forward? So for elders, deacons, whether by Zoom or whatever, to begin to ask those questions and process together and to pray, what kind of church ought we be going forward? I think that's an invitation begging to be taken up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's really good. Well, Mark, you've had a lot of really great stuff for us. We're really appreciative of your time. We know you're still teaching via Zoom uh, multiple times a day sometimes, and you've got all those other things that you're taking care of. So again, we're just very thankful for the time you've given us. Appreciate the invitation. Good to be able to continue in friendship with you both this way. Blessing yeah. to your congregants and those who will hear this uh, broadcast. Great. Thanks. Let me close in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for um, just the ability to, to communicate about this together, to communicate about the kingdom continuing to work, the gospel to continue to go forward, whether it's through the seeds that have been sown or the seeds that we're sowing right now. We know that you're at work through all of this. We may not know how you're at work, but we do know that you're at work. There are real souls at stake through uh, the way that we engage with the gospel and the culture and the way those things come together. It has changed. It is, looks different, but we know that you have tasked us with loving one another, with loving our neighbor, with caring for one another, and for the gospel to go out through our words and our actions, and certainly through the way that we pray. So we're thankful for that conversation, Lord, and we're thankful that you are at work through all of this. We're thankful again. Pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want more from Christchurch, you can find us at our website, ChristchurchGR.org. That's ChristchurchGR.org. And while you're there, check out the Staying Connected during COVID-19. You can find other resources. You can find our latest podcasts, a home worship guide, and other great things to stay connected during this time. You can find this podcast at any of your regular podcasting outlets, whether that's through Apple iTunes or through the Google Play Store. We're so glad you checked in. We hope to see you next time.